From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is a podcast of KZYX's local coronavirus update for Monday, November 2nd, 2020. With Ukiah ER doctor, Dr. Drew Colfax and Alicia Bales. Since the pandemic began, Dr. Colfax has done regular live updates for KZYX listeners on the latest news and numbers and answered questions from callers. Bad news on my TV screen, bad news on the magazines, bad news on the newspaper, bad news on the elevator, bad news on the street. Well, good afternoon. This is the local coronavirus update with the still appropriate theme song. This is Alicia Bales, not in the studio. I'm in the studio, but Dr. Drew Colfax is not in the studio today. You're joining us via Zoom. Hello, Alicia. How Hello. are you? Hello, good. Where are you? <laughs> Oh, I'm in a secure, undisclosed location. <laughs> Preparing for the election, huh? Yes, yes, exactly. Staying close to our national borders. Okay, you planning a, a, a sojourn over this the This may be our last show, we'll see. My goodness, okay, so even worse news than usual. Well, actually, <laughs> that's true, except for our little bubble here in Mendocino County, where we catapulted into the red last week. Uh, I know, which is, you know, I... I, I have mixed feelings about it, to be sure, but it certainly does reflect how well we've done both in the county and in the state at getting this under control, particularly looking at what's happening uh, nationwide. I also think we're still effectively in summer here in sunny California um, and fear that in a month or six weeks we're going to be perhaps not where North Dakota is, but oh, say, Illinois. Um, but we'll see. Hopefully I'm wrong. I am. I was wrong. I will admit, I was wrong. Um, what I had predicted, somewhat with a with a somewhat high degree of certainty, that we would have a October vaccine surprise, but uh, that did not come to fruition. That um, one kind and, of felt like it was slipping away as the weeks passed. Yeah, it just. I I, I am surprised. I I think it didn't come about because these. Big pharma companies sort of came to the realization that if they kowtowed to Trump's um, pressure, that that might not be the economically sound thing to do. It might actually undermine the confidence in whatever vaccine was rolled out prematurely. I don't know, but I'm glad that the the, the big pharma and the scientists held firm on it. Um, it's certainly a good thing for building public trust and confidence in when the vaccine does, in fact, um, get here. Well, it seems like the Trump administration dramatically switched gears, too, from the time when you were making that prediction to now we're in the the full-on herd immunity, no strategy, everybody just get it, and, you know, it's not even real, and it's a hoax, and... Well, it's, it's it. I mean, it, it truly is. What are you going to believe? Me or your lying eyes? I mean, you know, the the current administration is literally saying it's fading away, and I think we are just a, a few hundred cases short of a hundred thousand in one day a few days ago. Um, and so, it, it's completely out of control. Hospitals um, in the northern Midwest um, are just completely swamped. Um, I, I can't imagine what it's like to be practicing there right now. But locally, things are quite good. So shall we do the numbers before we get too carried away? Let's do it. All right. So in the county of Mendocino, 1,176 total new cases. I believe we're at 1,129 last Wednesday. Um, A total of 31,571 tests have been run. 1,264 of those are pending. Hospital um, utilization is still quite low. Um, Capacity for... Um, surge capacity has not been utilized for quite some time. We only have three in the hospital um, in the county of Mendocino as of a couple days ago. 
And as you alluded, we moved down to tier two. We are now in the red, um, which primarily is going to uh, allow, um, however advisable this may be, but it's going to allow in-person public schooling. Um, it may affect some um, non-essential business openings as well. We'll see how that um, gets rolled out. But the big impact is going to uh, be on public schools. Um, I I frankly think that if I were a parent and I had the option to sort of not be too chaotic and I was doing home home education um, through um, online learning through the school, I'm not sure I would throw a kid back into school and they'd have school shut down again in a month. But, you know, it's going to depend on sort of what happens as this virus moves further west um, come come winter. Um, well, I we know are... that the um, I know that the unions, the teachers unions have something to say about that, too. Um, I just feel like we're so full right now with the impending election that we haven't had the space to have that conversation yet. But I think that the schools are set to make those decisions in the coming weeks. So we'll be hearing a lot more about that, I think. Well, be, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do fear that we might start seeing an uptick or significant uptick in cases in California uh, as you know, as this ridiculously warm, sunny weather finally fades away, if it does fade away. But, you know, that's that's a prediction that hasn't yet born, been borne out. We'll see. Um, but I, I urge caution, as is my as is my brand. Um, one other thing I should note in terms of county um, cases, we currently have 48 active cases in the county. So that's 48 uh, individuals who are in isolation. 25% of those are on the night on the north coast. So a little bit higher um, ah. distribution outside of the Ukiah Valley area than we've typically been uh, running. Um, we'll we'll see if that bears up or if that's just a statistical aberration over the course of the last week or so. Right. Well, we did uh, see still- an outbreak a couple of weeks ago uh, in Fort Bragg at a at a um, preschool. So it, it seems like maybe they're they're sort of coming into the discovery of the cases. And those that. numbers are still uh, reflected in the number of people isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, California is doing quite well as a whole. We're averaging seven point two cases per day per one hundred thousand. It's not it's not fantastic. It's certainly not at a level where you would say this is controllable or where you can even be effective at contact tracing. Um, but it's certainly better than North Dakota, which is averaging one hundred and thirty five cases uh, per hundred thousand people per day. Um, That's terrifying. US is, yeah, it's it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I mean, that truly is just it's everywhere. And, you know, hold on, because we really aren't going to have a lot we can do in terms of public health control. Um, it just ends up, you know, being this huge surge of the um, unfortunate sick people who present to medical attention and their capacity to attend to these people is really strange at this point i mean it's just not good um and that you know that's reflected in the national numbers 45 percent increase in cases over the last two weeks 9.2 million um infected in this country 82,000 cases on a 70 on the seven day average 82,000. so even our surge back in july i think we we peaked at about 63,000 um, for a seven-day average, just from recollection. We're at 82,000 right now, and, and there's really no sign that that curve is flattening out at all. Um, but again, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, perhaps come after, uh, post-election, maybe we'll get a slightly more coherent policy on this. 
Um, other news sort of in the medical field, uh, there was a big study that came out in New England Journal, I think Wednesday afternoon or Thursday, um, looking at durable immunity from uh, from the infection um, in people who had been infected. And it actually showed a fairly high rate or prolonged immunity uh, in people who had previously contracted COVID, which is good and, you know, predictable. Um, but that, that was a very large study, well-designed well, well designed, uh, with some definitive um, uh, testing to confirm that there was immunity four months out. So that's very good. That, I think, will set aside a lot of this anxiety that if you get it, your immunity is going to fade away very quickly and you could get it again. Not to say that's impossible, but for the majority of people, once you have this, the likelihood that you're going to get it again and get as sick again seems to be a, quite a bit more remote uh, again. So that that's good. A little um, bit of good news to balance out that totally terrifying news that you just gave us about the... 82,000 cases a day average. I can't even believe that is the that's reality. I, I just it's, can't. It's, it's really astonishing. I mean, you know, it's both astonishing and unfortunately it just reflects how difficult it is to control a virus like this. I mean, Europe has actually been fairly coherent in their policy and yet they are also dealing with a huge second surge right now um and some of those countries have per capita weekly numbers that are higher than um than ours um and so it's wow. not entirely um our own incompetence it's certainly our incompetence that we haven't been able to sort of get this tamped down and held in a contained manner moving into the fall and flu season but it's not it's unfortunately not unique to just the united states well, a little bit of local news, um, if we can kind of whiplash back to the local scene. Yeah. The, uh, last week, or I think it was the week before last, UCSF lab had ab abruptly ended their contract with Mendocino County for the clinics for surveillance testing. And apparently yes. they uh, they conceded and, and have given us a grace period of two weeks. So um, testing is going to continue at the clinics uh, through the next two weeks through November 15th. So people can still go to Anderson Valley High School on Thursdays and get do the drive-through testing through Anderson Valley Health Center. And Mendocino Coast Clinics is going to continue with their weekly surveillance testing as well. you got to call them for an appointment. But that's a bit of a relief while we figure out what to do. It bridges the gap. It gives public health a slight bit of breathing room. Um, but two weeks is not very long to scramble in this environment uh, for certain. So there, I, I think we can anticipate that there's going to be a gap where OptumServe is the only sort of public testing option outside of a hospital, which is both both very costly and, and inefficient. Um, but hopefully public health can come up with something or UCSF, you know, relents. I, I'm frankly not sure what happened. I'm not sure if it's a money issue. Oh, I'm actually, frankly, fairly sure it's a money issue, but I'm not sure whether it's a money issue on our end or on their end. Um, but uh, at any rate, that's right. who broke that's up with above who? my pay grade. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so we've got this election coming up um, from which, your which from your bunker on the border, wherever, <laughs> wherever you are. Um, any thoughts about that before we open the phone lines? Uh, it may may it end swiftly? Yeah, good point. Yeah. May, may it end swiftly? May we know soon? Um, okay, let's go ahead and open up the phone lines. You can join this conversation. This is the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales, and on the Zoom is Dr. Drew Colfax. And the number here in the studio is 707-895-2448. That's 707-895-2448. And we have our first call. 
Good afternoon, caller. You are live on the air. Hey, guys. I am calling because I was in Ukiah yesterday, um, or sorry, it was last week, and I drove by the Career Point Center, and I have a comment to make about how Mendocino County is turning their backs on its residents by closing all the libraries, the career center, and social services. Uh, a woman approached me in the parking lot and desperately asked for help in filling out her form. Another person I know, a single mother, is unable to get food stamps. She applied six weeks ago. I feel that Mendocino County needs to get their act together and help the residents. Money's run out. We don't have any help from the government. So what do we do? And Alicia Bales, I know you and you guys are so good about getting information out there. Um, I just hope maybe you guys could comment on that. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks for that call. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it really does. The caller's uh, perspective certainly reflects um, what we've seen with this virus in terms of how it is affecting the most marginal um, and the uh, people of color, both in this community and in this country. I mean, it really is impacting, and I, I hate to use that word, but it's really impacting um, social service delivery um, and social service access in a way that is leading to these massively disproportionate um, uh, effects in people um, who live in a fairly marginal setting in the best of times. Um, it, I don't think it's necessarily a major shortcoming of Mendocino County. I think it's a shortcoming of how we have structured social services in general in this country and how thin the margins are um, in terms of governmental aid and governmental support, um, which, you know, those margins have been far overrun in the last eight months of this pandemic. It's just more than uh, any organization can deal with and we see that both in you know public um, governmental services but also food banks and everything else i mean food banks locally and throughout the county and throughout the country have seen you know lines of cars in a way that have never been seen um you know since the since the great depression um and so i i think it really has just laid bare how um pernicious uh, this virus is at exposing our shortcomings in this society. But it's a very good point that the caller is making. Yeah, and um, when I was talking with the public health officer on Friday about the reasons for opening up more than we are now, um, it was a, a concern for the, more, the marginalized people, the, the, a concern for the people with fewer resources in our community. And I think that what you're saying, caller, is a really good place to prioritize reopening is social services, uh, where people can access resources. And I also think we should use the opportunity for the red tier to reopen up our public meetings as well, if we can do that safely. Uh, before we open the schools, I think things like the supervisors meetings need to come back into the the real world space rather than the the digital space because i i feel like there are inequities built into that digital space that people can't engage with their democratic representative at a time when we just really really need to be able to do that so shall we move on sure <laughs> take a next call good afternoon caller you are live on the air hi i um have a question about this testing and the numbers that they're showing up. A friend of mine who I was in contact with a couple of weeks ago started feeling ill, went and got a COVID test, tested positive, let me know. I and, my, I and another friend went down, got our COVID test, everything was fine. This has now been two weeks and she was feeling better. Now her husband, who lives in the same small apartment with her, has become ill. 
quite, you know, sick. And I called this morning to check on them, and she said, oh, could you go pick up an oximeter for me because uh, that the doctor had one at the office. They were going to lend them. Now, this person has not been tested. He won't be considered one of the positive cases in the county. How much of that goes on, that we are not getting test results back from these people that are told to shelter at home and, you know, take care of yourself? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And the answer, unfortunately, is we just don't know. Um, and I, I can tell you from personal experience, I have diagnosed people with COVID uh, without a test, just clinically. Um, right. You know, people have high risk factors. They've been, they have a known exposure and they're presenting with classic symptoms of COVID. I have reported that to county as a positive case and they reject the number, which is interesting um, because they're relying entirely on positive test results, yet we know those tests are not perfect. Um, I'm not saying I'm perfect as a diagnostician, but you know, I, if I'm going to call it COVID, um, then I'm, I'm pretty damn sure that it is COVID, um, even without a test. Um, and so it really does reflect the realities that both the county's dealing with and the state and the nation, um, and they've just made a public health decision uh, collectively to rely on test counts rather than uh, clinical diagnoses. Fine, but it is going to result in some asymmetry with the actual number of cases. Um, and your, your experience and your um, friend's husband's experience illustrates that nicely. You know, we certainly know that there are many, many, many more people who have been exposed and have passed through COVID um, and do not show up in the number, whether that's twice as many as the actual number um, or whether it's 10 times as many as the national number. We don't know. And frankly, the division tends to run along um, uh, party lines rather than scientific lines. So the, the, the people who've continue to trot out this fantasy of herd immunity, want to say, oh, the national count's not 9 million, it's 29 million or, you know, 90 million who've been exposed to COVID at this point and have some degree of immunity. I don't think it's that much. I think it might be, you know, 18 million, maybe twice as many people as actually show up in the numbers, maybe even three times as many, that'd be 20, 30 million, somewhere in that range, but certainly not in the 50 to 100 million and certainly not even close to the 250 million that we need to start talking about herd immunity in any sort of coherent way. Well, well, thank you for that. I didn't mean to tie up the lines, but I had a second part of the question was these people live in a senior community apartment area, and they live pretty close to each other and all, and no one has come up there. I, I think public health should have at least come up and brought a van up or something and tested the people that live in this area, because they're all vulnerable and they're all, you know, connected socially in small ways, but, you know, neighbors, et cetera, et cetera, and that hasn't been done, and not much has actually been done in terms of, except for the apartment manager saying there's a person who has COVID in this in such and such an apartment and that's it yeah I, and I, you know that kind of report it doesn't surprise me at all frankly i mean there's just not that level of detail uh paid to individual cases even in high-risk individuals and high-risk community settings um and that's not just a slight on the county that's a slight on the state and then the national response to this it just there has never been the mobilization that we should see to allow for a coherent uh contact tracing and lockdown uh isolation of the people who are infected so yes the county should be swarming all over this individual um and uh her husband and the neighbors in this community 
community, but they simply aren't because they don't have the resources. Um, and the resources aren't even approaching on any horizon as far as I can see at this point. All right. Thanks so a lot, my, caller. My, my, it, it, I hate to be so boring, but it simply you know, brings us full circle back to you know, March's advice, which is you know, stay at home, don't go out, wash your hands, wear your face mask, and don't expect the Calvary to arrive in any way to help you manage uh, who is uh, infected or potentially infected around you. Presume everybody is at this point, even though our numbers are still quite low. All right. Let's see if we have another caller. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Is that me? This is you. Thanks for waiting. Hi. Oh, thank you. Um, I just wanted to reprimand Dr. Colfax. Uh, please don't use the term people of color. It's very offensive. Okay. Thank you. Love you. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Reprimanded. So reprimanded. Okay. Um, the phone lines are open. It's 707-895-2448. 895-2448. This is the local coronavirus update. On the line is Dr. Drew Colfax from an undisclosed location, and I'm in the studio. I'm Alicia Bills. Um, we got no calls right now. Good. So <laughs> That's an accomplishment. Um, uh, maybe I want to talk a little bit about the quiet drive total for a second. Yes, it's go for it. creeping up and it's quite inspiring. It's forty nine thousand four hundred fifty nine dollars on our way to our goal of one hundred and twenty thousand uh, dollars. That is really amazing that we've uh, we've asked very kind of low key for people to rejoin or to join as new members. And people have been responding. In fact, that's the totals five hundred and twenty two donations which really that's makes right. me happy. That's so that's just phenomenal. So 522 of you out there have taken that step to call call in and and give your donation for the uh the fall quiet drive and getting us well on our way to reaching that goal. And so a couple more people called in. I guess they wanted to stop me pitching. Before we take those calls, um we should as a programming note um report that we are not going to be live on the air on Wednesday no. due to potential news items yeah so we're going to be dedicating tuesday and wednesday to election coverage a national and local election coverage so we're not going to be doing a local coronavirus update but we'll be back with dr corin on friday and then you'll hopefully be back in the area on a week from today one hopes maybe if things go okay all right let's take another call good afternoon caller you are live on the air hi are there any reports of covid tests kits that have been contaminated? I don't think there's any significant problem with that. Um, I, I, I haven't really heard of any systemic uh, contamination issue, so no, I don't think so. I just have a friend who thinks that she got it. She got bad symptoms from the test, but it didn't make any sense to me, so I figured I'd ask. No, I, I, I don't think so. That, 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 that's not plausible. Those, those uh, swabs are in sterile containers and they typically haven't been handled until they're open. So there's certainly not any probability that they are contaminated with COVID. Now there is, um, I must say, a fair amount of internet rumor that the testing can give you COVID, but that is, as we say, fake news. Um, Okay, good. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thanks for the call, caller. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right. We'll take another one. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. 
Hi. Thanks for taking my call. So I'm feeling really, I don't know, overwhelmed and sad and confused by um, how we can nationwide and locally be opening up schools and gyms and understanding and watching that uh, pe- that places that have done opened up um, inevitably have had major surges and are at near capacity hospital-wise. And um, I don't understand where the tipping point is in regard to actually forming um, an intelligent approach to understanding that if we keep doing this, we're not going to save the economy, certainly, with more deaths and more infection um, and surging um, uh, uh, situations where where hospitals, I've heard some hospitals don't have needles. Um, there's, in this worldwide pandemic, we're not being able to get supplies that we need in varying areas, and yet we keep making the same decisions over and over, and I just don't get it. How many deaths, how many infections, when is the tipping point, and how can we affect this uh, sanity, uh, some sort of sanity in in decision-making? And I'll stop and hear what you have to say. Thank you. I, I I really hear your fatigue in that call. I, mean, I, I think we're all just sick of this, and there's a sense that we're not approaching anything resembling the beginning of an end. Um, and and I, I, I hear that, uh, not just from you, caller, but I hear that a lot um, with my colleagues, certainly, um, and with my friends as well. I I do think, however, there is a reason for optimism, um, and I say that somewhat cautiously on November 2nd, um, the year 2020, but um, what, what we need, um, and we might not get it depending on what happens tomorrow, but what we need are national standards, since this virus moves right across borders, we need national standards on masking, on social distancing, on when and what you can open and how. We need coherent supply chains of all the PPE. We need a coherent vaccine messaging um, so there is confidence and faith that the vaccine, when it does roll out, will in fact work and work the way it's intended with a rational, medically, socially, and economically um, well-thought-out distribution strategy that is transparent. And then, as the caller alluded, you need some sort of more coherent economic messaging. I mean, this sort of sense that we get uh, from the news, you just need to open things up and go back to normal, is incoherent if everything shuts back down again three weeks later or a month later. Um, And so there needs to be some sort of more coherent economic messaging that until this is controlled, things aren't going back to normal. And that's frustrating but fortunately the news on the vaccine is good um you know we are moving toward getting to a point where we're going to have at least one and probably several vaccines now might it will take a while to get those into people in sufficient numbers to make a difference but that horizon that time 
is approaching. Um, and we've been in this now for eight, nine months. Um, you know, we're, we're over halfway. Um, and, you know, it might seem like it's a long way to that goalpost, but we are moving there. It would just be nice if we were moving there in a way that inspired at least a scintilla of confidence. And, and as of, you know, as of now, we just haven't seen that certainly on the national level. But hang in there, caller. I, I really just I hear that sort of sentiment so often, uh, and it's so frustrating for all of us. But we've, you know, we've been through worse collectively and individually. Um, you know, most of us have. I mean, obviously, what is it now? Two hundred and thirty thousand people killed by this virus. Um, just, you know, just appalling numbers. Yeah, caller, I really feel you. I really feel you in your comments. Um, do you want to take one more call? Sure. Okay. Really Good afternoon, you. caller. You are live on the air. Um, hello. Hi. Go ahead and turn your radio down if you can. I did. I turned okay, it off. Great. Thanks. Go ahead. Live on the- hello. You're live on the air. Hello. Go ahead and turn your radio down if you can. I, I can hear it. it <laughs> I can hear your radio in the background. Can you hear? This can- is me. It's somebody else. You've got two people on the line. <laughs> I can hear nope. your radio in the background. I don't. Um, anyway, go ahead with your question, caller. Oh. Okay. You've got two people on the line. Hello? Go ahead and Hello? ask your question. Okay. Um, Dr. Kofax, you've talked about um, COVID as a respiratory disease, but I've also, could you talk about it as a vascular disease? Sure. So it, it's... I. I you know, in the beginning, we talked about this primarily as a respiratory disease because people were dying of respiratory failure. Um, what we've learned um, really since April, um, May, and in through the summer is it affects more or less every body system um, in different ways and with different degrees of uh morbidity and mortality. Uh, the vascular system is, is no exception. It is a very pro-thrombotic disease, which is to say it makes the body form blood clots. Um, it can lead to stroke. It can lead to um, massive clots in the lungs, both of which can be quite devastating and or fatal. Uh, it is one area of this disease that has allowed for much greater therapeutic interventions. So we are able to administer fairly strong anti-clotting uh, medications to the sickest among us, uh, which really has uh, moved the needle quite a bit in terms of uh, avoiding those complications. Uh, but it also, you know, it affects other organ systems almost as much as the lungs. Kidneys and hearts have shown significant um you know, predilection toward being damaged uh, from this infection in a way that is quite devastating. Uh, and then the, the CNS, uh, the nervous system effects, aside from the strokes, are still fairly subtle and poorly understood. But I'm afraid that that is going to prove to be um, a fairly significant long-term uh, morbidity aspect of this illness that we are only in the beginning stages of understanding. Thank you. All the more reason not to get it. So many reasons not to get it. It's a good strategy. Don't get it. (laughs) All right, caller, thanks for that. And that brings us to the end of the local coronavirus update for Monday. Thanks so much. Yay! (laughs) Thanks for for all of your calls, and thank you, Dr. Colfax, for zooming in. And for all the listeners out there who have not contributed to KZYX's Quiet Drive, please pony up.
the, the station needs support, um, and I'm asking you to do so. And for the one or two people in the county who have not yet voted, tomorrow's your chance. Yes, and I am just finishing up the, the finishing touches on a special for the morning. Uh, to, uh, Katrina Bartlemay, our local uh, registrar of voters, took me on a tour of the voting, vote counting system that they have set up at the elections office. So I, I have that all an interview of the tour of the voting or the election system and I'm going to play that at nine o'clock tomorrow morning if you want to hear how your vote is being counted at the county level uh, they have new computers and a new scanner and she was very excited about it so I'm, I'm looking forward to bringing that to you all um, but yes you can still vote tomorrow you can take your ballot down to any polling place or a drop box and up until eight o'clock tomorrow night you your vote will still be counted so it's not too you, late just to be just to be clear though you don't need your ballot you can still go to what they call a polling place you can but uh, because of the pandemic governor newsom uh, ordered that everybody gets a mail-in ballot so fifty-four thousand mail-in ballots went out and if you want to vote in a polling place you got to bring it and surrender it so that yes. there's not two ballots for you out there but you can also just bring your ballot fill it out and turn it in you don't have to surrender it you can just vote with it so that and more tomorrow morning at nine o'clock <laughs> can find out more about all of the ins and outs of, of local voting. But the important thing is vote. You can vote all the way through 8 o'clock tomorrow night, and uh, your vote will be counted. The, they don't have to have their numbers certified until November 20th. So there's plenty of time to get all of the, uh, if your signature doesn't match or, or something goes on with your ballot, there's plenty of time to get it resolved. So do do it. Vote. All right. Thank right. you, Alicia. Thank, Thank you, you, listeners. Thanks, Drew. And we'll talk to you next Monday. We'll see you on the other side. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.